Today we're, uh, I'll wait a second. Today we're going to try and review everything that we've talked about in Revelation. So this is going to be a little longer message than, just kidding. Um, I always quit on time. I don't know if you knew that or not. Mid-sentence. I don't know if I told you the story or not. I remember several years ago when I was teaching in public school, uh, two of my buddies and I would get together at lunch and uh, and do Bible study. And and this was way before I understood all the differences. And so as we were talking about some of the things in Revelation, of course, I presented what I'd been taught all my life, which is this dispensational point of view. And they looked at me like I was totally nuts. So I explained it all to them, or as best I could in a short time. They went back to their pastors. One was a Lutheran pastor, one was a Reformed pastor. And, and both of those pastors said, don't listen to that guy, he's nuts. You know, he's, he's got that minority viewpoint. Um, well, I haven't changed. I've studied a little bit more and I understand it a little bit better. And I, I, like, I like how this all ties together. So again, we'll present it from this perspective. All of what we've taught has been from that perspective. Um, we're not trying to shove it down your throats. We just, we just think it works and makes some sense. So keep that in mind. All right. Two sections in the book of Revelation, if you remember that. The things which are, that is, things as they are currently. And then the things which shall be hereafter, or what's coming, the future. And uh, kind of exciting to be able to take a peek into that. And so God gives us that little bit of a peek. Right now, we're in the present church age. Does this have a pointer? Huh? Yay, thanks, man. Present church age right there. And it's been going on for quite a while, ever since, some say ever since John the Baptist, others say for, uh, since uh, the day of Pentecost, whatever your point of view, 2,000 years of church age where the gospel message has been presented, people have had opportunity to respond to that. You're here this morning because you have either responded or are aware of the fact that Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, was buried, He rose again the third day, vindicated everything that He ever said, everything that He ever, that he ever claimed, and now is offering salvation to us on the basis of faith, that is believing, simply believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believing who He is, and believing that His death on the cross is all that, was, all that could be, all that would be, all that needed to be done in order to save us from our sins as we place our confidence, our faith in that concept, He gives us eternal life. That's the church age. All right? In the church age, the Apostle John had a message. And it was to seven different churches. And we went through each of those. And I'm just going to quickly, quickly touch on the points that were made as we went through those seven things. First church was the church of Ephesus. And if you remember, the problem at Ephesus was they left their first love. They left their first love. Not just was it the original love, but it was the primary love. It was the main focus of their lives and who they were and what, what life was really all about. And somehow things clouded that. I can understand. I can relate to that. In fact, often I have to stop and pray, Lord Jesus, I need to love You more. I need You to help me love you, love you more. I need You to be my first love, my primary focus as far as love is concerned. And we're not talking about a gushy feeling. We're talking about that total commitment that, that all of our being is presented. And it comes from God. It's a blessing that comes from God, but it can be squelched in us as humans. 
And what we really want is for God's perfect love to, to come into our lives and then flow back out. It makes marriages work. It makes all relationships work. It, it makes families prosper. It's the kind of thing that we really, really need. And at the very core of it all is our devotion, our appreciation, our commitment to the person and work of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Ephesus left their first love. And it might be that the great adventure is sometimes guilty of leaving their first love. And the reminder is, hey, we need to see that restored. Not going to dwell on that. We had good teaching on that way back when, but it's really an important concept. Smyrna, Smyrna was given a, a, a word of blessing. You know what? You guys have done great. You've, been, you've suffered incredible persecution and you've hung in there and you've done a great job with it. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And there's no... Well, I shouldn't say that because I don't know. I doubt whether there's anyone in this room that has experienced that kind of persecution, that kind of suffering, to the point of death. But that's where we need to be ready. That's where we need to be willing. And it may come. I get a, a, a magazine called Friends of Israel. If you don't get that one, you need to sign up for it. It doesn't cost anything. It's got great, great uh, information in it. And one of the things that it has every month is a section, or every time it comes out, a section called the Persecuted Church. Well, that one strikes my heart. That one's an important one to remember and know about. Because we got it pretty cushy here in, in Dubuque, Iowa. But around the world, it's not that way. Around the world, there's people who are living in Smyrna. And they're having huge persecution. And the challenge is, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. And so the message to us is the same. Be faithful. We don't know what's ahead, but even in the challenges we have right now, God wants us to be faithful. Pergamum. Uh-oh. Pergamum had a problem. They committed sexual immorality. And this is a theme that you find over and over again in the church and the reason, or in, the, in these letters. And the reason so is because it's, it's a problem. Sexual immorality is a huge issue. It is always related to idolatry in Scripture. When you go into the Old Testament and you see something about idolatry, sexual immorality is always, always hooked with it. When you, when you see something about sexual immorality, almost always there's at the foundation of it some kind of idolatry. John Piper calls it the sin of unbelief. Unbelief. Because what God says about faithfulness in marriage and in, in purity in our lives is absolute truth. He's right. And yet within us, there's these drives and, and, and desires that say, no, God isn't right. I don't believe God. I believe this is a more satisfactory way to live. And we need to be so careful about it. Pergamum committed sexual immorality. Thyatira, you tolerated that woman Jezebel and Jezebel was all about sexual immorality, all about idolatry, all about evil. Uh, she was one nasty woman. And you know what? This is, I, Ladies, excuse me. But when a woman gets nasty, they're really nasty. And we've got to watch out for them. Proverbs talks about that kind of woman. That they'll entice you and they'll trick you and they'll, they'll snare you. And we need to be so careful. They tolerated that woman. God says, we don't tolerate that stuff. You may not be committing sexual immorality, but you tolerate it. And I was thinking, how in the world is it that, 
if you're not committing it, that you tolerate it. And then something hit me right between the eyes. The movies that we watch. The music that we listen to. You know, I go back a long way, you can tell. But I go back to the 60s and the 70s, and I even a little bit in the 80s, and the love songs that were sung, yet you can twist them to make them sound really spiritual almost. You know, almost you can almost sing them as far as your relationship to the Lord. You light up... Anyway, never mind. Uh, you can make it sound spiritual, but I wonder if there isn't a toleration for what's evil in all of it. Man, we need to be careful of that. You say, well, then I should never listen to the radio. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to be careful that we don't slip into a way of thinking that says that stuff's okay because God says it's not. Okay. Sardis, strengthen what remains. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, it may not be perfect. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Christ walked the earth. The church has some, some flaws. We've got some strengths, but there's some flaws. Find those things that are truth, that are right, that are important, that are valuable, and strengthen those things. That's a neat message. Hang on to that. Philadelphia patted them on the back and said, you know what? You have kept my word. I like that. Don't you want to be a person that it can be said they live by the book? Every morning and every night I go in the room of a guy that lives that way. and I'm, I'm, I know I'm bragging, but that's the way my dad is. That's the way my dad has always been. He's a man of the book. And you know what? His life is better for it. We need to be people who have kept the Word of God. Scripture says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That there's a keeping. And then there's good old Laodicea. And this is the one they always get the rap. But there's good reason. You're lukewarm. You're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. That's the church. That's who Christ is going to marry. And we'll talk about that in a few seconds. Is that us? Hmm. We have to be so careful that that lukewarmness, that mediocrity is very devastating. Connected with, I think, the first church, Ephesus. When you lose the focus on your first love, it almost always leads to that kind of mediocrity in your walk with God. And He deserves better. He deserves more of my life and more of my decision-making. Well, let's move ahead. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Of those seven churches, five of them had some serious issues that they had to deal with. Two of them, he said, you know, you're, you're pretty on track here. I like that. But five of them needed to stop and say, I, I'm changing my course of direction. Where are we this morning? Where are we as a local church? Keep it in mind. Let's think about it. Let's ask God to give us some challenge along those things. Okay?
Back to the chart. Uh, present age, the things as they are today. Then a huge event happens. Awesome. We were just singing about that. Um, Christ is coming back. And the Scripture teaches that He's coming back for His church. We find that in, in um, Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter... Which is it? Somebody help me out. Is it First Thessalonians? See if these are the same words, okay? According to the Lord's words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Here it is. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's next. That's the next major event that's going to take place. And those of us who have trusted Jesus as Savior, who have been made part of the body of Christ, the church, are going to be caught up with Him. We're going to be brought right into the presence of Jesus. Many of the folks have died who have trusted Christ over the years. They're going first. Then, I don't know how you can have first and second in the, in the flash of an eye, but that's the way it's going to be. The dead in Christ will be raised first. Those of us who are alive and remain, if Jesus were to come today, we'd all be gone. What an awesome thing to be in the presence of the Lord. And so we take a good hard look at the things that are to come, starting with the rapture and moving forward. All right? And again, we do not know what day that is. I think that's been taught several times here uh, and, and we'll just reinforce it again. We don't know when that's going to be. We believe it is imminent. We believe that there's nothing that stands in the way of Christ returning. It could be before I'm done this morning or it might be another thousand years. We just don't know. The Scripture says that we're to be ready. We're to be ready. And, and, and all of those warnings to the seven churches, that was how you keep ready. That's how you get ready. That's how you stay sharp and focused. Remember the story of the ten virgins? Five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish ones weren't ready. They just weren't paying attention. Some suggest they were even sleeping. And the lamps burned down and the oil got used up and they were in big trouble when the, when the bridegroom came. The wise ones were ready. They were on the ball. They had things together. And that's where we want to be. All right? What's happening... Whoops. What's happening after the rapture? All of these things, according to Revelation, are still to come in the future. And God opens the window just a little bit and lets us peek in. Now... All of what we have taught has come from Revelation, but we've had to refer to all of this, but we've had to refer to other portions of Scripture to get a fuller meaning. And while we didn't talk about it, I wanted to mention it this morning. Immediately after the rapture of, of uh, Christ's church, things are going on in heaven. Things in heaven. And so we'll take a quick look at that. Also, there's things on earth. And uh, we spent most of the time uh, talking about the things that were going on on earth. I just want to touch on, if I may, the, the things in heaven. It's uh, 
this business of the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not to be, the judgment seat of Christ, not to be mistaken with the judgment of the great white throne. We believe those are two distinct kinds of judgment. This, as Mark taught us, has to do with whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We'll get there. This is for those who have trusted Jesus Christ in the church age. And there will be an evaluation. And, and, and that gets a little nervous. Okay? That, that's a little um, scary to think about. What's going to take place at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, number one, be assured of this. It is not going to be a time where you are held accountable for your own sin. And I want you to think about that. How do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it will not be on the basis of sin in my life that I'm judged? What's that? Christ died for our sins. He paid for them all. We sang it earlier. We've been justified. That is, we have been by God Himself declared to be absolutely righteous. No sin. No sin. So when God looks at me, no sin. So if I stand before Him at the judgment seat and He says, oh, there's some sin in your life. Excuse me, what did you say earlier? No, I don't think it's about our sin. Well, what's it about then? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Who can quote 8 and 9 for me? For by... It's not of works, because you just brag about it. But what does verse 10 say? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What? About salvation, not about works. Once you're saved, all about works. There's a ton that we're supposed to be doing. There's a ton of stuff that we're to be involved with. And I'm convinced that the judgment seat of Christ is going to be an evaluation of how we worked. Christ has laid out beforehand a, a path, a work schedule for every single one of you. Have you got it figured out? Do you know what the work schedule is? Ron, when Ron puts together at the beginning of a semester a, uh, a list of courses and instructors, you make it abundantly clear who's doing what, don't you? That's their job. I get the same kind of thing. Look, here's your job. And, and when, when you start working out uh, the, 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 through the course of the semester, you need to do this much. Uh, Jess is selling AFLAC insurance now. And he came into our office and, and gave us this great spiel. I was totally convinced. I just bought everything he had. Jess, that's awesome. But you understood what your job was, didn't you? It was laid out for you. And he is evaluated and eventually compensated on the basis of the kind of work that he does. Sean's been unemployed for the last several weeks. Okay? Sean got his hand caught in the mixer. That was a nasty experience. And so it's a little tough for him to carry out the job that he was supposed to do. You get what I'm saying here? God has given you a job to do. Do you know what it is? Where are you going to find it? Okay? If you're not sure of what your job is, get going. Get in the book. 
Find out what your responsibilities are, what your job is, because you will be evaluated. You will be held accountable. Paul says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our works will be evaluated. Some of them are going to look like gold and silver and precious stones. How does that sound? We like that, don't we, ladies? Okay? Got a little excited about that a few weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, Harry came up with the, this gold and precious stone, right? Sure, we'll take that. Some of it's wood, hay, and stubble. Old Kyle asked Tina to marry him. What if he'd have brought you a, a, a piece of string with a, a hunk of wood tied to it and said, here's my engagement ring. You'd have been thrilled, wouldn't you? She'd have taken that thing, she'd have put it in the fire, and it would have gone, Pfft. I don't want to be there at the judgment seat and have that happen. I don't want Christ to take those works that I, that I supposedly have been doing in His name, have Him test them in the fire and have Him go, Pfft, and be gone. There's going to be an evaluation, Christian. And there's a job that we're to do. Are we doing it? Are we letting our neighbors know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lord of Lords, that He's the Savior, that He's offered salvation to Him? Are we living in such a way that people look at us and say, they must, they must be in love with Jesus. They must be a Christ one. That's our role. That's our job. Are we doing it? The judgment seat of Christ. It's coming. It's as sure as, uh, as, sure as you're sitting there. And we need to be ready. We need to be working. The next thing is, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's kind of a neat thing. We've got several weddings uh, being planned right now. Okay, they're, they're exciting events. Several of you planned one last summer. They were lots of fun. But a, a marriage is always a, a highlight, a, a, an important time. And guess what? The Bible teaches that there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb where Jesus Christ Himself names His bride brings her to himself and marries her. <laughs> Who's his bride? It seems clear in, in Scripture that it's you guys. We're, we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the bride of Christ. And Revelation says that, I think it's chapter 19, says that that bride gets to adorn herself in this gorgeous robe a beautiful, beautiful dress. And you know what it's made of? It's made up of the prayers of the saints. Interesting, isn't it? The bride is preparing. The bride has been granted eternal life. The bride has been given uh, righteousness. The bride has been given opportunity to be clothed in, in the beauty and the, and the wonder and the majesty and the holiness of Jesus Himself. And we contribute to that through our prayers. And then there's going to be a wedding feast like, like there's never been before. I mean, you guys have put on some good weddings, but uh-uh, not even close. And what's it going to be like when Jesus kisses His bride at that wedding ceremony? Awesome. Let your mind focus on that a little bit and then live your life in a way that pleases Him. 
We'll keep going. There's a period of time called the tribulation period. That's what's going on on earth while this is happening in heaven. And this is what we focused on because this is what Revelation was teaching about. The seven seals. In the seventh seal, there were seven more seals. This are seven more uh, judgments. This is the trumpet. In the seventh trumpet judgment were seven more judgments. All of them designed... Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. All of them designed to teach us about the holiness and the wrath of of God. Now that's a subject that we try to avoid. That's a subject we don't like to think about. In fact, um, sin will be judged. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It would be a wrong assumption to think that everybody here has received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So once again, we need to say there's an offer, there's time. The offer is that Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. You need to believe that that is all the payment that can possibly be made for your sins and accept that as the complete and final payment. And Christ will grant you eternal life. I pray that that we'll think seriously about that. Terrible time of tribulation here on earth. Seven seals, we had each one of them explained. Seven trumpets, each one of those were explained. I'm not going to go into them. The seven vials, horrible, horrible things that were happening here on earth. And each one of them teaches us about the wrath of God against sin. He is serious about it. All right, there's another event coming up. At the end of the seven-year period, there'll be a return of Christ with His saints. Christ coming back to earth. And it's the begin of a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. It's sometimes called the millennium. This, I believe, is what Christ talked about when He offered the kingdom to the people when He was here the first time spent three and a half years teaching them that the kingdom is here. It's available. I'm the king. Submit to my leadership. Obey my words. Follow me. And they rejected him. And we all know the outcome. But that rejection led to his crucifixion. I so appreciated reading Isaiah 53 this morning, brother. Thank you. That God opened up this window, even in the Old Testament, of the way it would be when the Messiah came. Here's the king but he's rejected. And we think he's being judged by God, but really he's being judged by God not because of his own uh, error, his own sin, but because of my sin. And he pays that price. During this time, this thousand-year reign of Jesus, there's going to be a a freedom, a, a relief from evil. And there'll be, not that there won't ever be good or bad, but there'll be instant justice. There'll be a, uh, a, a legal system that has perfection associated with it. And so if someone violates God's standard, it'll be dealt with immediately because Jesus the King is all-knowing. 
He's all-powerful. And He'll deal with it immediately. But the influence of Satan is not going to be there. Satan is bound. He's thrown into the bottomless pit. And it's, we believe, for a thousand-year period. It's this section right here that we're talking about. Here's Satan in the bottomless pit, a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. What He promised He would do, He fulfills during the millennial reign. But even there, there comes a time, an end to that whole period. And what's next then, very scary, sobering concept, and that is there is a great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgment. And here's the standard. Very, very cut and dry. Very clear. If your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. Horrible thought. Uh, in fact, too horrible to think about. Here, here's little Keegan this morning with, with a scald burn on his face. Now, I don't know, I doubt that it's a literal fire, but can you imagine having heat applied to your face in such a way that that, that, that screaming, horrible burn sensation is, is, is experienced? And then, not just for an hour or two hours or three weeks or however long it takes to heal, but forever. And And, you know... Whether it's literal fire or not, I can, I'm not smart enough to tell you the difference. But I know the consequences of burn like that. And I understand how horrible that is. And to think that it never ends makes my mind shiver. And then it talks about darkness. Such darkness that you can feel it. And sometimes blasphemers will say, well, I'll be happy to go to hell because all my buddies will be there and we'll party like never before. No, there's going to be such a loneliness, such an emptiness. You're going to be so isolated in that darkness. There'll be nothing to enjoy. And it isn't for two hours. It isn't for 28 days of solitary confinement. It's forever. And the brain shuts down and says, I will not think about that. But the Word of God presents it to us. We can go on and on and talk about the horrors of the bottomless pit. And what we need to do is think about it enough to be motivated to do our best to keep other people from going there. This is a challenge. We haven't seen, in the last year and a half, we haven't seen anyone that I know of come to faith in Jesus Christ as a direct result of this fellowship. And I grieve over that. I'm concerned about that. And I'm not saying anything to you that I'm not saying to myself. But folks, there's a need to continually presenting the go be presenting the Gospel. A need to constantly be living Christ in such a way that our neighbors, our, our work companions, our friends, whoever they be, even, even people we don't like, look at us and say, what is going on in your life? I want what you have. That's what happened in the early church. That's what happened in the book of Acts. And how many got saved on a regular basis in those chapters in Acts? Do you remember? Thousands. 
thousands. Great Adventure needs to do a work of evangelism because there is a day coming that is so horrible that I don't want to think about it for my grandchildren, for my next door neighbors, for my nephews and nieces. You can't, you can't grapple with it. But we need to. And it needs to motivate us to live for Jesus. We need to be witnesses of God's truth while there's still time. One final point. You believe it? Whoops. Way over here. After the judgment seat of Christ, we will enter the eternal state. And Mark taught us about that. Uh, was it Mark or Benji? Mark, thank you. Get my dates mixed up here. That eternal state, a new heaven, a new earth. Wonderful things. What a blessing that's ahead for us. In fact, uh, the way of describing it is we will be forever with the Lord. Now I have to confess that as a kid, that used to bother me. That used to scare me. Forever with the Lord? You know, forever was just something that I, I can't deal with. I couldn't deal with. I still can't. But there was a tendency in my mind to think, oh, I'm going to get a little tired of that. No, no trips to, uh, to great America? You know, just with the Lord? Folks, the mind is not able to comprehend the wonderful things that God has stored up for us. And forever with the Lord, it's going to be an awesome experience. It's going to be a wonderful blessing. We can look forward to it with delight, with satisfaction. And we can say, I want that to happen. I want that to come. So that the book of Revelation ends with this statement. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come. We want you. We want you back. In the meantime, let's live our lives in a way that pleases Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that uh, the challenges are incredible. We thank You that there is no way that each of us in our own strength could begin to live out the, the uh, demands that You've put forward even in this uh, short summary today. And yet we believe that You have granted us power from Your Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that lives right inside of us. The Spirit that longs to draw from our hearts those expressions of praise that include words but also include works. And I pray, Father, that this local church would, uh, would be workers, that we not be uh, those who fall asleep and are unwise, but if uh, the bridegroom is coming soon, that we would be people who are extremely busy doing the work that You've laid out for us. And I pray, Father, that You'll Use our lives to uh, speak to people around us. I pray, God, that there'll be some souls saved as a result of the testimony of folks here. Lord, I, I'd ask You to, uh, to bless us with that.
Father, uh, that there would be a thousand people in this town who come to faith in Christ because of the witness of, uh, of the folks here at Great Adventure. Lord God, we can't begin to see that happen on our own. We can't experience that apart from Your Holy Spirit. And yet, history tells us that, that You've done it in the past, that You can do it again today. And we want to be a part of that. So we ask You for help. Lord, there's a constant reminder of the need for us to be pure, to have lives of holiness, to have lives that are um, consistently pleasing to You. And God, I... I I'm reminded of that hymn that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Certainly that's my testimony. It might also be the testimony of my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that you'd just grab our hearts and bind us close. That we'd have a, a daily recommitment to living our lives in a way that pleases you. That we'd daily be people who are in the Word of God. That our prayer life would be uh, doubled and tripled and uh, that we would be weaving that garment of beauty for the bride of Christ. Lord Jesus, we want you to be honored. It can only happen as you empower us. It can only happen as we allow that to happen in our lives. And so uh, my prayer is that we would open ourselves to you, that you'd grant us your, your grace once again and your mercy and allow us to be people who live by the book, who have obeyed your word. We pray your help with this. Bless each person here. Bless our time tonight as we gather with other Christians in the community to uh, celebrate a time of thanksgiving. Be honored in that as well, we pray. Ask your blessing and safekeeping on all. In Jesus' name, amen.